I want to look in Scripture and God's Word. We talked about um, being in Ephesians 4 earlier, and so I would invite you to turn there. We're going to read beginning in verse 11 in Ephesians 4 today. That's where we're going to talk about. So let's first look there, and then we'll talk about um, the message this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. We're beginning a sermon series today, Chris mentioned this earlier, called Gospel Fluency. It's a five-week sermon series, and we're following along with a book. It's the same name, Gospel Fluency. And there are five sections in that book, and we're just going to follow through that as we do our sermon series. We'd love for you to read along with us in the book. We have some copies available in the hub. You can take one. We'd suggest $15 donation if you can to cover that. That will help us pay for the cost of those books. You don't have to read along with us. It's not a requirement. Um, We think it will be worth your time. It's a good book. Uh, But if you're worried about, like, what is this sermon series where we follow a book, this is not like a a book report. That's not what's going to happen today. So don't worry. That's not what we do. This is not like book report for five weeks. We still, like at First Christian Church, we are uh, Bible-centered people. And so we are still centering ourselves in God's Word. That's what our messages are going to be. It's not just going to be a book report. Um, So we will still be in the text. So today, for example, there is so much stuff in the book that's not going to be talked about in the message. So it would be worth your time if you want to follow along with us. But that's going to lead us through uh, the next five weeks together. And and that's going to launch us into... Um, this mindset of being gospel-focused people. So because God's Word is important to us, I want to just center our thoughts together in this room on that. Will you pray with me? God, we give you our minds and hearts, trusting and knowing that your Word is alive. It is not empty words on a page. Your Word is alive. And so as we read, would you draw them out Bring life to the things that we need to see this morning. Speak your truth to us. We pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. So I know, I'm fully aware that that was like a really heavy beginning to a sermon. Um, And it was heavy for me, and that's just an honest look at my heart over the last couple days. But I don't want to leave it like in a heavy place. I knew that was going to start, so I wanted to see like if it would be okay if we laughed a little bit together to start off the message. Uh, I need that, and hopefully you'll be okay with some laughing. I promise it's not just a corny joke, like it'll have to do with the message, okay? Um, But I brought along with me some emails. If you ever get emails or know of emails, you know of this category of email called spam. And then maybe if you're like 
you know, uh, an advanced email user, you know about a phishing email. Um, well, spam or phishing emails are ones where you didn't really ask for the email, but they sent it to you. And they're usually sending it to you to try and get you to give them information about yourself, like all of your money, um, because they want that. And sometimes it's hard to tell if the email is real or not, because they'll actually it'll look like it's from a legitimate company. And so this one that I wanted to show you is from PayPal. Um, this was one that I pulled off the Internet. It wasn't to me. It's to a man uh, named Chris Grimmer. Um, you can see it's from PayPal because they put the logo there. Um, it says, we will play info we hold about you. So you, ka be sure this is a genuine request. <laughs> Don't. This is genuine. Okay. We have limited what you can do with your account, dear Chris Grimmer. But for now, you can still receive payments. Please take him in. They want him to go through and verify his information. All they want him to do is click that link that says up, update hyphen here um, so that that's all that requires that he would just enter in, you know, his credit card information, stuff like that. Normal stuff that PayPal might ask for. Obviously, that one's not a real email. I brought another one along to, to show you. This one's from, if you get a new device, like you log in somewhere else, they send you an email to say, oh, is that you? Um, so this, this email is from Apple Support. Uh, you can tell it's from Apple Support because of the email address that follows where it says Apple Support. The email address of, yes, that. But if you didn't catch that part and you still weren't sure, you might understand by the contents of this email that it's probably not from Apple support. This is what this one says. Hi, dear users. Details information from PDF document attachments. Don't respond this email. You just click PDF and attachment. That's all. We just want you to open this virus that will hack into your system. So just trust that this is from Apple support. Those are easy to point out that it's not true. And, and one of the things that's easy about that, a lot of times the people who are sending this are people who English is not their first language. You might have been able to tell. It's not their first language. And, and we're not going to laugh at them all day because let's be honest. We know English is difficult to learn, right? If you've ever learned any foreign language, you know that English is often like super hard to learn. And here's what I know about you in this room today is that most of you in here have at some point in your life tried to learn a new language. You know that that's difficult and you end up messing up the way things are phrased and how things work and you put your southern accent into it. So you've done this. I just just to get you participating and to make sure that you don't um, fall asleep while I'm up here talking to you, get your arms moving. I want to do a quick survey. I want to see how many of you took what language, and I have a guess, I just want to verify that it's true, so raise your hand if you, when you took a foreign language, you took Spanish. That's one that you took. That exactly what I thought. Most of the room took Spanish. Um, just, you know, for fun, let's see though. Did anybody take French? That was your fewer people. Yes, fewer people took French. Anybody take German? German? That's like as many as French. I'm kind of surprised by that. That's good. Y'all went to a large school, I guess, where that was offered. Um, what about anybody take Latin? Oh, hey, look around. That's all the smart people in the room right there. 
There they are, if you want to know. And most of the smart people are downstairs because I saw all the people downstairs. Did la- I, I can't see. I'm just kidding. If you've, uh, if you've ever taken, you know, if you go to high school in Tennessee, it's a requirement for you to take foreign language before you graduate. And so a lot of you know what that's like. You've experienced the most of the, most of us in this room have at some point taken Spanish. You know what it's like to go. You're there in your class. It's like first couple weeks in class. You know, you're learning it and you've learned your first phrase in Spanish. You remember how excited you were when that took place? You were like, yes, like I know Spanish. (laughs) And you would go home and you would say, Mom, Dad, I know Spanish. And you would rehearse like the phrases that you knew. And then this is what you did. I know this. You did this. You went to the Mexican restaurant, right? (laughs) Right? You went there and you said, I'm ordering in Spanish. And so you did. You you had rehearsed it before you went 15 times. You said it out loud. You looked at the server. As, and I don't know what we expect them to do, like dance for us or what. <laughs> but they usually, this is what happens. They reply back in some beautiful, like eloquent response that we have no idea <laughs> what they've said. And we stare at them with that blank face like, don't really know what you said. We say we know Spanish. We don't really know Spanish. It takes a lot of work to really know a foreign language. It takes a lot more than Spanish one or two. And in general, to learn any type of language, it takes more than just a little bit of knowledge. It takes actually practicing and working hard on that. They, uh, there's a general rule in what it takes to be fluent in a language. And that's that when you begin to think or dream in that language, then you've become fluent in that language. So like if you're dreaming in Spanish, then you're probably fluent in Spanish. I have no idea what that's like. The closest thing for me that I know, like I have dreams about queso, okay? (laughs) So I guess that means I'm fluent in queso, but I have no idea what it's like to be fluent in a language. To be fluent in a language requires far more than just our broken up Spanglish where we put our redneck southern accent with it and try and uh, kind of piece it together so that we begin to sound a little bit like these emails and the people who look at us probably laugh because they know that's not our language. Here's the point, friends. If gospel speaking is a language, if speaking the gospel is a language, how well do you speak it? If speaking the gospel is a language, the truth, the good news, the gospel is good news about Jesus. If that's a language, how well do you speak it? Fluency is knowing uh, the language in such a way that it saturates your speech, your thoughts, your dreams. Are you gospel fluent? If we're honest in here today, most of us might admit internally to ourselves that we are not really gospel fluent people. We're more like gospel snippet people or gospel ish. In the way that we speak, here's what I mean. We take little snippets of gospel phrases, things that we've picked up from church or from a sermon. We heard it on Christian radio or maybe read it on Facebook. 
And we take all these little pieces and phrases of the gospel and we put them together in a nice little presentation and we speak that out. But it often proves when the recipient doesn't quite understand what we mean that we don't really know the language very well. Do you think that maybe you sound a little bit like these emails when you speak gospel to people? Piecing together things that might make sense in one context, but as a whole, it doesn't really fit together. When you don't really understand a language, you don't really understand how it all goes together. So when we go around sharing our gospel snippets, thinking that we're speaking the gospel to people, expecting them to hear good news, and they don't. What we tell them is not actually good news to them but indicates that we never heard them to begin with, then maybe we're not really understanding gospel fluency like we should. Most believers are very good at being gospel-ish people, but we're not quite good at being gospel-fluent people, but we need to be gospel-fluent. And so we're in this sermon series, and we want to see how does that work and why do we need to be gospel-fluent. I'm thankful for Ephesians as it walks us through the how and the why of becoming gospel fluent people and what that looks like us like for us today. So if you will look back in Ephesians four and as you're turning there, let me give you just a quick overview of Ephesians It is a book that is written with this uh, just an overview of God's purpose for you and for the church. God's purpose for us and our identity and for the church. In fact, Ephesians is a great place for you to look if you want to understand God's sovereign plan for all time. God being in supreme control, supreme authority for all time. That is the book of Ephesians. And so the first half talks about our identity in that. And then the second half of Ephesians talks about how do we apply that specifically to the church. And so understand that where we are today is the second half. And we are in a place where the application is for the church. In other words, for people who are believers, for people who have already believed in Jesus, already said yes to that relationship with him, had life transformation. That's where we're looking at today, a passage written to believers. And so Paul is writing in this section in chapter four about unity in the church, not because they're arguing so much as that unity is part of what we talked about, God's supreme plan, uh, sovereign plan for us. And so because it's part of God's plan, Paul's writing about it here in chapter four. And so we jump in halfway in chapter four, partway through uh, the, the main thought. The first part of chapter four is like legit awesome. You should read it, but we're not going to today. We're going to start in verse 11. So look there again. It says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are people, people that he, God, has given. God has given people to the church. So gifts from God to the church. That's verse 11. For a specific purpose, read verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the people in verse 11... We're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body or of the church, of, uh, of the community together. The, the end goal of all that building up, we're going to see that as we keep reading. But before we go too far, don't miss that your name was in there. Saint, you who are a saint, you may not feel like one. 
You may think, saints, that's a football team. Nope, not a football team. A saint is a New Testament word that talks about anyone who's a believer. So are you a believer? Are you a believer in Christ? Then you are a saint. Why? Because God has set you apart above all the other stuff. Set you apart for a specific purpose. The purpose of building his kingdom. We can learn that from here, but we could also find that that's true. One, one place I picked out will be on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. It says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, and to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all Christians are called to be saints set apart for God's work in his kingdom. So you, believers, believers in this room, you are called to be equipped by those gifts from God, verse 11, to do something. But what does it mean to be equipped? That's a cool word, actually, the equipped word. You can find that word in Matthew chapter 4 where it talks about fixing the nets that have been broken. So repairing the brokenness in the net, the same word, equipped. And you can find it in 1 Thessalonians as well, where it talks about supplying the need that is lacking. And so if we combine those two things, same word, equip, and we put those two pieces together within the context, we might understand it that God has given the gifts of these people to help equip the church, or in other words, to help repair what's broken and supply what's lacking for the mission that is at hand. Those people are there to repair what's broken and supply what's lacking for the mission that believers are on. We're set apart for this purpose. Sounds like we're getting ready for something pretty important, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and fullness of of Christ, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal. Verse 13. This is the goal, the hope, the unity that is talked about here. The unity and the goal. And this is one of those places where you say, well, I thought we were already like we're all one family, child of God. We're unified. Yes, we are. This is a, on, this is a tension in the Bible that can be described in, in this way. Something that has already happened but not yet fully realized. So it's a tension that we would say is already, but not yet. So we already have unity, but it's not yet fully realized. And then the other thing in this verse, we already have knowledge. Yes, this is true. Paul even talked about that at the beginning of Ephesians in, verse, in chapter 1. We already have knowledge of God, but it's not yet fully realized. So this is, we already have this, but it's not yet fully realized. So then what are we to do? We are to be called to this unity, to grow up, to grow into this body together. The call is for us to grow into a maturing process. And if the call is to mature and the call is to grow and we grow into unity, then we can understand that as we mature in our faith, we also grow together as our community and our church our body of Christ. Conversely, if you are a proponent of individualism or isolation, that is not a sign of maturity in your faith, but of immaturity. So maturity for us is to grow up and together 
in our faith. All of us to be mature in Christ. It is God's intention for every believer to grow in this way. All of us are participants in this. This is not one of those things where some of us can still be kids or teenagers when it comes to our faith journey. We're all called to maturity. The truth about Christians is that many Christians often want to stay in that fun zone of I am a child of God and that's a happy place to be. But I don't really want the responsibility of, you know, growing up into adulthood. We want the fun and the the joy of being a child of God, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with maturity. You ever, uh, it's sort of like wanting to stay in Neverland, you know, the Peter Pan story. Neverland was the place where the kids went so that they never had to grow up. There are a whole lot of Christians today that are hanging out in Neverland and they don't want to grow up. They don't want to mature. Christians are choosing to stay in Neverland because, yes, Growing is hard. It is difficult to grow up. It's often hard. We know this. We have grown up. We know that it is difficult to do so. But you are not called to stay in Neverland. You are called to maturity. You are called to grow up into Christ. So church, are we growing up into Christ? Are we hearing that call that we are not to just stay as children, but to grow up into Christ. We know how this works. We know what that looks like um, in our lives. Let's not forget the call that comes from Scripture. And growing up into maturity is not something that is just a total like bummer and lame. I want you to hear that. Because a lot of teenagers don't want to grow up because they think it's boring to be an adult. It's not necessarily the truth. Being an adult is amazing. Okay? You get all kinds of amazing things that kids don't get. Um, Growing up is great. And being mature is great. But here's the real key that we learn from Scripture. And we're going to see that here as we read these following verses. Verse 15. Here's why we grow up. I'm sorry, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's what Scripture's teaching us. We grow up because children don't have the strength to stand up to the difficulties that face them. You know this is true. If you're a parent, you know this is true. That's why we don't send our kids out into the world when they're in elementary school. This, listen, the world would eat them alive. Like, you know that, parents. You don't send them out and say, go, kill and eat. Enjoy the world. You don't do that because the world would eat them up. And so we keep them as they mature and as they grow so that when they encounter difficulties, they will be strong. When they encounter something that is deceitful, a deceitful scheme, that they will be strong enough to stand up to that. We pray for our kids as we send them out into that. And we know this is true for our own children. And God, our Heavenly Father, knows this is true for us, His children. That He wants us to not stay in childhood, but to grow up into maturity. Because there is there's real danger in staying children in our faith. 
There's deceitfulness. So what does this look like growing up? How do we do that? How do you stay strong? That's verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, a lot of people read those, that verse 15 by itself. They don't read the whole context of Ephesians. And so you maybe have heard that verse before and you've thought wrongly, as many people do, that speaking the truth in love is just saying something that's really difficult to say, but then saying it because you have a loving heart. Here's what I mean. You know, this is like the lettuce in the teeth thing, right? Where somebody has like lettuce in their teeth and you say, I love this person, so I'm going to tell them. And so you tell them you're that person. You say, listen, I love you. You have lettuce in your teeth. A lot of you right now are like, or it's like the booger in the nose. That takes more love, right? <laughs> takes a lot more love to do that. But those are kind gestures, right? We, we often like, even though it's a little embarrassing, we appreciate that. That's a good thing. Thank you for loving me that way. But we also do this in other ways, Christians. We do this like in our small groups with somebody who smells a lot. And um, so then we feel like it's, it's my requirement, according to Scripture, to tell them the truth. And so we say, dude, I love you, but you smell. But I love you, but you, like deodorant. So we'll tell them that and we'll say, that's, listen, as, as cool and fun as that is, and please do, like if I have lettuce, let me know. As cool as that is, that's not what Paul had in mind here. That was not what's going on in this context of Ephesians. Paul has something that's much higher in mind when it comes to truth and speaking the truth in love. He has an intention that's a little bit better than that. And so we understand that not even from just this section of Ephesians. You can look back all the way in Ephesians 1, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 14. You'll get some context about what Paul's talking about with truth. But if we'll just look just a few verses, like just a few verses down, verse 21, you'll see it right on the money. Here's what it is. Ephesians 21 this is the second half of Ephesians 21. It says the truth is in Jesus. That's what's in Paul's mind. The truth is in Jesus. When we read this, the truth, speak the truth in love. What Paul's intention here in writing to us is that we would speak the truth of Jesus to one another. We would speak the truth of Jesus to one another. That is what is talked about here. The truth, which is guaranteed by God as a part of his big sovereign plan. This truth is what we are to tell one another. It's truth that's depicted later on in Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about armor of God that we would put on because this is a battle. We already saw waves, but oh, chapter 6 talks about an adversary named the devil who wants to take us out. So how do we deal with that battle? You suit up, suit up with the armor. What's the first thing listed in the list of the armor? Verse 14 in chapter 6. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You see, truth holds all this together. That truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is in Jesus. That's what's in Paul's mind when he's writing about the truth, is that we put on the truth. We put on Jesus. The truth, the truth is the gospel. That's the truth. 
So if the truth is your armor and the truth is what we tell one another, how well are we telling the gospel? Because knowing and applying the gospel to our lives is what this series is about. That's God's plan for us. It's clear in Ephesians 4. So if we're going to help one another grow up into Christ, then what we need to do is learn to speak the truths of Jesus into everything. Into everything. Every aspect of our life, every situation that we face, every challenge that comes our way. Don't be content with gospel snippet, gospel-ish living. Too often when people are giving answers to the challenges or questions or things that face their lives, they give something other than Jesus. When someone asks for financial advice, we give them great budgeting practice. Or when someone asks for relationship advice, we teach them how to communicate with their spouse. Or when someone is having a hard time with doubt, then we'll challenge them in the way that they think through their self-thought. And if, if we do all of that, but we fail and giving them Jesus, then we ultimately are sending them away from the gospel. If we don't give Jesus for every situation in our life, then we fail. And if you don't think you've failed, if you don't think the church has failed in this, then look around at all the people whose understanding of the gospel only has to do with what happens when you die. So many people think the gospel is only about what happens when I die, my afterlife. And why is that? Because that's the only thing we speak to. We speak to eternal life as the gospel. But let me tell you, there's so much more. There's so much more to the gospel. There's truth to offer to everything in our life. That truth is Jesus. And God sent Jesus for us to be a true and a better human than any of us ever can or will be. This true and better human has shown us what it is like to live in life in a way that we have truth in Christ to apply to everything that we live in. There is a better way that has more hope and more life in it than anything that you might offer. That is the gospel, the good news for every situation. Do you speak that to people? This is good news. Don't let your gospel language only be about what happens in the end. There's so much more. So much more. And this is why we need fluency. Gospel fluency. This is why we need fluency. Could you imagine the difference it would make? If we became gospel fluent people, church, these friends that you see, if we became gospel fluent people, what would our community feel and notice and see? They would see good news, good news that is found in Jesus Christ. But just like learning a language, you don't learn this immediately. It's not done overnight. It's a growing up. It is a building up. You move away from just merely sharing the snippets that you've learned to interpreting your whole life through the gospel. Fluency happens when you can think and feel and speak in a language. Everything, even your dreams, are gospel-centered. Gospel-fluent people are people who think and feel and perceive everything in their life in light of what has been accomplished in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. So the next question that we have is how do we become 
gospel-fluent people. What does that look like? I hope you'll join us for the rest of this series. In fact, next week, Tyson's going to talk to us about what the gospel is. He's going to answer that question. What is the gospel? The entire sermon will talk about what the gospel is. And we want you to be present here for that because we believe that this Jesus-saturated community can help you along that journey to fluency. And we'd invite you to do that. But if you won't be here next week, the gospel is still here. Right now, we share it every week as we share in communion together. We're getting ready to experience the gospel together in communion in a way that brings it to life. We say the gospel is animated as we share in this communion, a a remembrance of the work of Jesus Christ and a retelling of the story of the gospel. As we prepare our hearts for that, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, for the good news that is found in him, not just in his eternal purpose, but in what he has to offer to our lives today. And so we ask that you would lead us away from the path of gospel snippet living so that we may be people who are fluent in the good news. Equip us for that by your spirit, for the work together. We believe it will change our lives and those around us. For your sake and your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The gospel really is good news. The good news that you and